So I owe you all a big apology because I, I messed up last Sunday. Three Sundays ago, I preached a message called Cultivating an Inoffensive Spirit. And I promised you that two Sundays later, I would preach a message called Cultivating an Unoffendable Heart. Sam Huddleston preached the next Sunday. And the following Sunday, I completely forgot and preached on whatever the heck I wanted to preach on. It was something, I don't even remember what I talked about last Sunday, but whatever it was had nothing to do with cultivating an unoffendable heart. So I am going to fix that by finishing up that two-part series this morning with a message entitled, Cultivating an Unoffendable Heart. And so those of you who were not here three Sundays ago, I want to encourage you to go to our website and download the message, Cultivating an Inoffensive Spirit. We need both an inoffensive spirit and an unoffendable heart. An inoffensive spirit means I don't offend. An unoffend, uh, unoffendable heart means I cannot be offended. Now, wouldn't that be cool if you went to a church where, number one, no one was offensive, and number two, even if somebody was offensive, nobody was offended? Wouldn't that be awesome? Our conflict rate would re be reduced to zero. Imagine a church where there's no hurt feelings. Wow. That just blew my mind right there. I don't know what to do with that. Cultivating an unoffendable heart. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you'd speak to us by the power of your word, that you would give us depth of understanding, insight, wisdom, and revelation. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to start with the book of Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 2. And when you get there, say amen. But because it's so hot, I'm not going to wait. Matthew eleven two, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we wait for another? Now there's a background to this passage of Scripture. The background is John and Jesus were cousins. And they were six months apart. And they knew each other since before they were born. You see, John and Jesus had a little two-man revival in the womb. Because Mary was pregnant with Jesus, and she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John. And when Mary walked in the room, Jesus somehow sent a blessing across the womb. Not across the room, across the womb. And John the Baptist got filled with the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth's womb. John is in Elizabeth's womb getting filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit baptizer is in Mary's womb. They had a little miniature two-man revival, and they weren't even born yet. Now, John grew up in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey, dressed in camel skin. How many know that he gave up a lot? I mean, he didn't have a childhood. You know, you see these child stars, they grow up and they say, I never had a childhood. That's why, I, well, John never had a childhood. He was a child prophet. He was a future child star. He grew up in the desert eating locusts and wild honey. Now, have, I don't know if you've ever seen a locust, but they don't, they don't look like anything you want to eat. When all of his friends were wearing the most fashionable clothing of the day, John was dressed in camel skin, Okay. So this guy gave up his childhood because of the call of God. 
When he was born, his father prophesied that he would go before the face of the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That is, he had this prophetic mantle on his life from birth. An angel prophesied his birth. And then his father prophesied over him at the moment of his birth, you child will be called the prophet of the most high. You'll go before his face in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I mean, this child had a divine destiny over his life. This child had stuff on. He got, he had some Shabbat sauce on his life. Are you with me this morning? So he grew up in the wilderness and the scripture says he grew up in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. That's at the, at the end of the book of Luke chapter one. And when The day of his manifestation to Israel came. Apparently God spoke to him and told him, your whole ministry is to prepare the way for somebody else's ministry. Your whole ministry is to be the opening act for the ministry of your cousin Jesus. Your whole ministry. I know you're the older cousin, but you're not worthy to unlatch his sandals. He is the Messiah, the coming King, the one everyone's been waiting for. It's not you, it's Him. And so when you begin your ministry, the first thing you're going to do is give up all of your personal ambition about what that ministry is to be. The first thing you're going to do is surrender everything that has to do with your own hopes and dreams and simply devote your life to opening the door and setting the table For your cousin Jesus, your little baby cousin Jesus, who's six months younger than you. So you're going to prepare the way. And so when John came out of the wilderness and began preaching, that was his message. His message was, and they would ask him, who are you? I mean, when a guy walks out of the desert dressed in camel skin with locust legs hanging out of his mouth and a little honey on his face, looking wild and crazy. I mean, as crazy as you can imagine, John, that's, he looked even crazy. Now, if a man walks into your church and he starts crying out, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first question you want to know is, who in the world are you? Now, in ancient Israel, there was this prophetic tradition and he looked the part. I mean, he was wearing his prophet's uniform. And they asked him, who are you? Are you the Messiah that was to come? He says, no, I'm not him. Who are you then? Are you the prophet Jeremiah? No, I'm not him. Who are you then? And his response, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's all I am is a voice calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. And then he looks at the crowd and he says, there's one coming after me that's greater than I. I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandals. I baptize you with water. But he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then suddenly his cousin Jesus shows up and walks in the water. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's doing his job, not taking glory for himself. And then his cousin Jesus says, baptize me. He says, I'm not worthy to unlatch your sandals. How can I baptize you? Jesus said, do it to fulfill all righteousness. And he baptized Jesus. And when he came out of the water, John bore witness saying, I saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended upon him like a dove. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love in him. I am well pleased. And John the Baptist was like, yes, this is it. I've done my job. I've opened the way. I've set the table for him. Now God is going to reward me. Right? Because when you obey God, he rewards you. When you do what God wants you to do, he rewards you. 
If you do what God says to do, He's going to reward you. He's not going to let anything bad happen to you. He's going to take, He's going to rebuke the devourer over your life. Uh, He's going to restore the years uh, that the locusts have eaten. Uh, If you obey God. uh, This is what John the Baptist believed. A few weeks weeks later, his disciples come to him and say, you know that guy Jesus? Yeah. Well, now he's baptizing people. Ain't no Jesus the Baptist. It's John the Baptist. That's your ministry. He's he's stepping into your territory. You need to go tell him, I'll do the baptizing around here. Thank you. And John looked at his little disciples and said, you don't get it. My whole ministry is to set him up. My whole ministry, he must increase and I must decrease. I'm only standing tall so I can lift him higher. And once I get him higher, I get out of the way. He must increase. I must decrease. Matter of fact, all of you are now his disciples. Go follow him. He sent away all his disciples and said, go follow Jesus. But what John did not realize at the time was that as fervently as he believed in Jesus, he still had an agenda. As fervently as he... Nobody could say he didn't believe in Jesus. He gave his whole life for Jesus. He gave up everything for Jesus except his agenda. You see, he gave up everything for Jesus because he expected Jesus to fulfill his agenda. And what was his agenda? It was the same agenda that every Jewish man and woman and child in ancient Israel had. The agenda was to overthrow the, the Roman occupation. At that time, the Romans had come in and occupied Israel. They had occupied the entire ancient world. And the Messiah was to reestablish the throne of David. To bring back the golden era of David. That's, he was supposed to be a political, military hero. And John thought... This is the guy. We all have to give up everything so that this guy can do his thing. We all have to get out of the way and give... John would have given up everything, even his own life, to see Jesus do what he expected him to do. But disillusionment began to set in when Jesus refused to do what John expected him to do. He started gathering disciples and then he started healing sick folk. Opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, causing the lame to walk, the mute to... And he's hearing that, you know, Jesus is multiplying bread and fish. But when are we going to start a war? Sickness, do something about these Romans. And slowly but surely, John started regathering a few of his disciples here and there. So John's thinking, I did my job, right? God's going to reward me, right? God's going to reward me, but I'm going to keep being obedient to God. He speaks a prophetic word against one of the rulers who had married his brother's wife and said, you're wrong. And the guy said, seize him and put him in prison. So now he's in prison and he's thinking, oh, I know Jesus is going to visit me. I'm his cousin. I'm his boy, his dog. You know what I'm talking about? Me and Jesus, we're like that. I mean, I gave up everything to follow him. I, I gave up my ministry to follow him. I gave up my childhood to follow him. And matter of fact, 
I heard him when he gave the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I was in prison and you visited me. So surely he's going to visit me. And the days and weeks start going by. And Jesus doesn't come to visit. He's going to raise up that army now. Now he's going to raise up that army. And he's going to come bust me out of here. That's the first thing he's going to do is bust me out of here. And then he starts hearing them talking about executing him. To execute, execute. He calls some of his disciples. Go ask that Jesus guy. Are you the one? Or did I get it all wrong? Did I give my whole life for somebody who can't do what he's supposed to do? Are you the one? Or do we wait for another? And so the disciples of Jesus show up. Can you imagine Jesus? He's teaching the multitudes. All these guys, these guys come up. And Jesus goes, who are you? We are the disciples of John. What? John still got disciples? How many times can you repent? What does he do? Just baptize you every week? Is that, that it? Do you know in Acts 17, Paul is still dealing with the disciples of John? He runs into them and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they go, we don't know nothing about the Holy Spirit. And he goes, but I just heard you guys talking about when you got baptized. Oh yeah, we've been baptized many times. Well, what were you baptized to? Well, all we know is the baptism of John. That's it. All John knew was that you're supposed to repent. But he didn't know the power that, that could actually set you free from sin. All he knew was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, on the way. He didn't know that it's already arrived. You're still stuck at John? If you're still stuck at John, all you know is you're not supposed to sin anymore. Isn't that terrible to know you're not supposed to sin, but not to know how to stop? Not to know how to get free from it? John can't get you free. All John knows how to do is tell you you're a sinner. John has disciples? Yes, and he sends a message. Okay, what's the message? Now watch this. It says, when John heard what Jesus was doing, he sent messengers. He heard what Jesus was doing. He heard that he was healing the sick and raising the dead and cleansing the lepers. And he was discouraged and disillusioned when he heard what Jesus was doing. And Jesus says, go tell John what you see and hear. The lame walk, the blind see, the poor have the kingdom preached to him, to them. Go tell John that I'm doing it. You don't see these miracles? I'm not the one, but I can make the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. Does that make any sense to you? Do you know that when you are discouraged, it breaks down your very ability to understand things that are right in front of your face? When you're discouraged and disillusioned, you can think people don't love you who obviously love you right up in your face every day. When you're discouraged, you can think people don't have your back who would literally give their lives to protect you. When you're discouraged, it breaks down your understanding. When you're discouraged and disillusioned, when you allow offense to culminate, to cultivate, when you allow offense to grow in your heart, you can't see clear expressions of love right in front of you. I had somebody say one time, 
I was sick for two months and nobody visited me from this church. Nobody. Well, except Robin, he visited me. But nobody else fit. Well, no, uh, James visited me too. But nobody else fit. Wait, wait, no. No, and then, and Alicia visited me too, yeah. But after that, nobody. No, and then Robin came again. But nobody visited. Name like five or six people. But nobody visited me except the following 27 people. God, you've never done anything for me. Discouragement and disillusionment breaks you down to the place where you can't see the supernatural, miraculous working of the Spirit of God that is all up in your face every single day. Why? Because you're offended. Blessed is he who is not offended because, I mean, well, hold on, we've got we to take that back for a second because Jesus turned right after that and looked at the crowd and said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? He's talking about John the Baptist. Yeah. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go see a reed shaken by the wind? Heck to the nizzo. John was no reed. John wasn't this wishy-washy, flaky, you know. No, John was a prophet. John, John would speak it like it is. John would, John would get you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Can you imagine folks repenting at your church and the pastor gets up and says, who warned you to repent? I wanted you to get judged. You know, I mean, what kind of a, you know, John was no wishy-washy. He didn't know anything about grace yet. He didn't know that that's what was coming was grace. Right? Jesus said, no, you didn't go out to see a reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see somebody in soft garments? No, those in soft garments are in king's palaces. John was wearing camel skin. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go see a prophet? Heck yes, you went to see a prophet and more than a prophet. For I say unto you that of those born of women, not one has arisen who is greater than John. Not one who's arisen is greater than John. Not one. But yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What does that mean? You know what Jesus is saying? The last thing the last statement he made to the disciples of John when he sent them away contextualizes this. What he's literally saying to the multitudes is as great and awesome and powerful and prophetic as John was, as mighty as his ministry was and as much influence as he had in the earth, there was one fatal flaw in his life that even the least in the kingdom of heaven can overcome if you make a decision. And that flaw is this. He allowed his heart to be offended by me. He allowed his heart to be offended by me. He got offended by me. And because he got offended by me, he could not see the kingdom of heaven anymore. Amen. He even began to doubt who I was. This man saw the heavens being torn open. And he saw with his physical eyes the Holy Spirit descend upon me in the form of a dove. He heard with his physical ears the voice of the Father resounding from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And now, I mean, for crying out loud, he received my spirit before he was even born. And now he's saying, Are you the one? Or do we wait for another? Did I miss it? Did I miss it? Why? Offended. You know, people walk away from Christ all the time. Yeah. One reason. Offended. I'm offended. Offended by Jesus. Now, all of us get offended, and the thing we, we tend to recognize is that offense always has a source. And it's typically not the person you're taking it out on. Can I get a witness? 
You're not mad at your wife. You're mad at your mama. But you couldn't say nothing to your mama when you were growing up. Because she would have slapped you so... She would have slapped your face round and round. My grandmother used to say, boy, I will slap your face round and round. My mother used to say, I will slap you so hard, you'll have six visions, five dreams, and four revelations. I will slap you through the great tribulation. You'll wake up in the millennium. You'll be walking streets of gold when you wake up. <laughs> boy, be still before I come over there and lay hands on you suddenly. That's how my mother used to talk. You know, I couldn't say nothing back to my mother. I couldn't, I couldn't talk, talk back to mama. You get a backhand or a, a wooden spoon or a, a billy club. No. I mean, you, you get something. But I can talk back to her, my wife. Don't let my wife start talking crazy. What? What you say? Don't be disrespecting me. And in the moment of offense, we always tend to think, I'm only mad at this person. No, you're not. There's a history to your offense. There's always a history to your offense. It's never the person you're taking it out on. I mean, if you had never been offended before in your life, what that person said probably wouldn't have been a big deal. Probably not a big deal at all. I, I remember when, when Sonny and I first got married, I got offended because she asked me why I put the corn in a bowl. What'd you put it in that bowl for? What difference does it make what bowl I put it in? I'll put the corn in any bowl I want to put the corn in. <laughs> and she's like, what are you getting so mad for? I just asked you a simple question. I get mad if I want to get mad. It's my house. I went into my room and I thought to myself, what am I getting so mad for? All she did was ask me a simple question. I was wearing my wife beaters. Woman! <laughs> you were so beat down by your father that you decided to take it out on your husband for the rest of your life. You were so beat down by your mother, you decided to take it out on your kids for the rest of your life. Matter of fact, you're going to take it out on anybody who will take it. And you're offended. You're constantly feeling rejected and neglected. You're constantly feeling like somebody is not giving you what you deserve to get. You're constantly feeling like people are not living up to your relational expectations. That was John's problem. Jesus was not living up to his relational expectations. See, you're supposed to have loved me. I thought you loved me. I thought you... You know what I can't stand? Is when people put foolishness like that on Facebook. As soon as somebody goes through a tough time, as soon as that tough time's over, they write on their Facebook, now I know who my real friends are. I thought I had friends, and I thought there's people that I thought loved me, but now that I've come through my hardship, they never called me, they never checked in on me, now I know they don't love me. Listen, the fact that you went through a tough time and nobody called you doesn't mean that they didn't love you. There's a lot of people who wanted to reach out to you during that time but didn't know how. But don't Listen, make a decision. You're not going to define friendships when you're in trouble. Amen. You're not gonna, in the midst of your pain. Don't use that as an opportunity to define your friendships. So now I know who really loves. No, you don't know who really loves you. You have no idea. Because some of the people who are calling you actually don't love you. And some of the people who are not calling you, maybe it's because you haven't called them and reached out for help. If you need some help, can't you ask for it? 
John was mad at Jesus for not living up to his relational expectations, kind of like Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus got sick. Oh, man, Jesus loves us. He'll be here any minute. I'm not even tripping over this sickness. Lazarus is going to be fine. Everybody's like, but Lazarus at the point of death. He's not going to die. Come on, we know Jesus. Jesus sleeps in our house when he comes to town. That's his, that's his, that's his room right there. He's still got some clothes in the closet. There's no way Jesus is going to let my brother die. There is no way. And then Lazarus dies. When God doesn't live up, see, the thing is, you think you're mad at the person in front of you, but there's a history to it. Number one, your pain probably goes back to your childhood where someone didn't give you what they should have given you or did give you what they shouldn't have given you. You were either neglected or abused or both. And that becomes the root of your offense in your adulthood. But there is an offender that is bigger than your mama, your daddy, your uncle, your cousin, whoever did it. Really, all offense goes back to God. Because the question is not just, why did my mother do that? But why did God let my mother do that? Not just, why did my uncle do that? But why did God allow it? I mean, if God is all powerful, why didn't he stop it? That's the question, isn't it? And there's a lot of you sitting here right now and you're mad at God. You're offended at him and you don't know it. Because you only understand one kind of anger and that's active anger. Aggressiveness. But there's also a passive anger that we call passive aggressiveness. You know when somebody's being passive aggressive, you say, you know, you walk in the room and they go, <laughs> and you go, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> well, what are you doing today? Nothing. You know, when, you know, somebody that you, you're really intimate with and suddenly they're giving you one word answers to questions. I said, baby, baby, you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> you know, I, uh, you want to go out? Nope. <laughs> You know, some of you are giving God the silent treatment. You're so mad at God, you can't even give him an amen when his word is getting preached. You're so mad at God, you just stand silently during the worship. You can't even lift up your voice and worship him. You're so mad. You think you don't pray because you need discipline. Discipline is not the problem. You got plenty of discipline. The problem is you're mad at God. You're so offended by him that you're giving him the silent treatment. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Wow. My little, my little gourd, my, my daughter has learned that now. Uh-huh. Daddy, can I have this? Nope. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. <laughs> she says that. You're not my best friend anymore. <laughs> She's three and a half years old. <laughs> she, she told me one time, I'm not going to live with you anymore. <laughs> And if I laugh when she says stuff like that, she gets so hurt. She starts crying. <laughs> you know, I'm like, baby, I'm sorry, but that's funny. Where are you going to live? <laughs> Where are you going to live? Where are you going to go? <laughs> I'm not going to go with you anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go with mommy. <laughs> well, mommy's going with me. <laughs> 
There's some of you here that have said, God, I'm not going to be your best friend anymore. I'm not talking to you. I'm not reading your word. I'm not getting up early. I'm not seeking your face. I'm not going to no prayer meetings. What's the use of praying when you don't hear and answer my prayer anyway? I mean, I've prayed and I've prayed for stuff. I remember when I prayed for such and such or so and so. I remember when I asked and asked and asked and you did not give me what I needed. You said, ask and you shall receive. I asked and I didn't receive. You said, seek and you shall find. I sought and I did not find. You said, knock and the door shall be opened. And I knocked and knocked and knocked and knocked. And that door remains shut to this day. One of the most powerful lessons you can learn as a believer in Jesus Christ is not to be offended by him. And the key to not being offended by Jesus is not understanding why. It's simply making a decision. I'm not going to be offended by him. Simply understanding that there is a why that transcends my understanding. That there is a heavenly why that cannot be understood in in the earth. And I'll understand it when I'm with him one day. But today I have one requirement over my life. I will not be offended. I was hurt so bad I couldn't even worship that day. Offense. Offended by God. And you're so offended by God that you're taking it out on everybody around you. You're offended by God, and so you're taking it out on your wife. You're offended by God. You see, you can't work it out with your wife until you work it out with God. You can't work it out with your kids until you work it out with God. You say, i got to figure out a way of solving this conflict between me and my wife, between me and my kids, between me and my parents, between me and my coworkers. Let me tell you something. Every relational problem in the earth is a problem between you and God. And until you fix it in the heavens, it will not be fixed in the earth. What you need to do is not go immediately to a counselor, although you might need to do that down the road. You need to go immediately to your prayer closet, and you need to sit before the Lord and say, God, why can't I talk to you? Why is it that every time I talk to you, I get choked up and I can't even pull the words out? I'm mad at you about something and I don't even know why. I've never even allowed that thought to come into my mind. I'm mad at God because that sounds like foolishness. But for some reason, I can't talk to you anymore. For some reason, I can't seek your face. For some reason, I can't pray. For some reason, I can't even crack my Bible. I crack my Bible and I open it and then I start daydreaming about other things. And I thought it's because I had no discipline. But maybe it's because I'm offended. I'm hurt. Go tell John, blessed is he who is not offended by me. Blessed is he. Because see, here's the thing. We get offended by God when we feel like he doesn't give us what we deserve. First and foremost, we've forgotten what we actually deserve. We shouldn't be offended that he doesn't give us what we deserve. We should be thankful he doesn't give us... Do you realize what I deserve? Do you re- I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve the indwelling Holy Spirit. I don't des- deserve the right to be called a son of God. I don't deserve the inheritance of the kingdom of God. You know what I deserve? The lake of fire. But he doesn't give me that. He doesn't give me what I deserve. Instead, he gives me what I don't deserve. And that is mercy. And that is grace. But why is it that I have a sense of entitlement in my relationship with him? 
I think I'm entitled to stuff. Because see, here's the thing. If I give up something for God, he better have something better for me on the other side of it, right? I mean, that, that makes sense, right? If you give up something for God, then God better give you something better than what you gave up. You know, I mean, if I put $100 in the plate, I think he's going to bless me with $200. That's the way it works. That's how it works, right? Reap as you sow. Reap as you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. And so, you know, I'm sowing, but I'm expecting to reap. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. He sowed his whole ministry and everything, but he expected God to give him something better. If I give up a palace, he better give me a better palace. But sometimes you give up a palace for God and what he has waiting for you on the other side of it is a wilderness. Amen. That's right. How about Moses? Well, yeah. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer shame with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Mm-hmm. Moses grew up in the palace. You see, there, sin can treat you in one of two ways. Sin can put you either in the palace or it can put you in the field. Now, when people who are in the field stay in sin, it don't make no sense. You know, there's some people that will just live in bondage to sin. They like it. Why? I don't know. All it's doing is beating the tar out of you. You know, I, I told you about the guy who was, you know, uh, drunk. It came to our church one time, drunk out of his mind. And I sat down with him and I said, why don't you deliver your life over to Jesus Christ? He said, I'm afraid of losing control of my life. I said, what control are you talking about? You're being controlled by alcohol. He just told me he had lost everything. Alcohol had taken his family from him, his job from him, his wife from him, his kids. It had taken everything. You're in the field. You're not in the palace, and you're holding on to that. I want to stay out here in the field. You see people whose lives are falling apart, but they're still clinging to that lifestyle. And you go, why? But people who live in the palace, sin made you rich. Sin brought you all kinds of pleasure. And you haven't even experienced brokenness yet. That's where Moses was. I'm growing up in the palace. I'm living palace life. You want to talk about cribs? They would have have shut down the show after Moses. After walking through Moses' crib. You know, like, that's it. You know, we ain't got no other show. You know, there's not a rapper in the world that can beat this. There's not a basketball player in the world that's got a nicer crib than Moses had. And Moses walked away from it. Why? It says by faith. By faith. Moses made a decision. I'm not living in this palace anymore. Why? Because he woke up and realized that he was just as much a slave in the palace as his brothers were in the field. And so it said he chose rather to suffer shame with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And it says by faith. He forsook Egypt. Now watch this. When Moses left Egypt, did God have a palace waiting for him? No. Nope. God had a desert. For 40 years. Why? Because if God had a palace waiting for Moses, he would have never fulfilled his destiny. God had a desert waiting for him because he knew what was necessary to prepare Moses to fulfill his destiny. Moses, you gave up a palace. I am going to give you something better, but not a better palace. I'm going to give you a better destiny. 
I'm going to give you a better future and a better hope. I'm going to give you better thoughts. I'm going to give you a better contribution to the world. I'm going to give you a better inheritance to leave to your children. I'm going to give you a better heritage to leave to the people of God. I'm going to write your name in the book, Moses. I'm going to see to it that people are speaking of your name for generations to come. You gave up the palace. I'm not giving you a bigger palace. I'm giving you a lineage. Sometimes you're looking for a palace and John the Baptist gave up his childhood and he was looking for a palace in his adulthood. And what Jesus wanted him to see was, John, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you something better, but it's not what you thought it would look like. And it's not what you thought you wanted, but you can't even see what I'm giving you because you're offended by me. You're offended by me. One of the things I really can't handle is injustice. And I mean injustice towards me. I'm okay when it's towards you. I'll walk you through it patiently. But when it's towards me, (laughs) yeah, I'll tell you, just believe, brother, sister, it's going to be all right. But when it's me, I'm incensed. Especially when I can't respond to it. You know, the worst kind of injustice is when you're driving... And somebody starts coming into your lane and then they honk at you like you did something wrong. Oh, that makes me so angry. I just feel this righteous indignation just welling up on the inside. The spirit is grieved. I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to say something. And, you know, I just it's so wrong. It's like, no, I got to tell this person that they're wrong, not me. I got to tell him I can't I can't let this go because then I'll be driving all the way home thinking he was wrong. That was my lane. He almost killed me. I didn't do anything to him. How can he be mad at me when he was the one who was wrong? A few times earlier in my life, I actually stopped the car and tried to get out of the car to go tell the person you were wrong. Not me. Don't be look at the lanes. You're half into my lane honking at me. I'm ahead of you. How can you be mad at me? But thankfully, I had somebody in the car with me to stop me. Amen. Sometimes when the Lord gives you a wife, he gives you a good thing. And it saves your life. Pastor shot on the side of the road for trying to explain to a driver that it was his fault. (laughs) Do you see what happened to Joel Osteen a couple weeks ago? Oh, you didn't see it? I had all kind of folks... Calling me, texting me, Facebooking me, instant messaging me, all upset about it. Why? Because apparently Joel Osteen put out a message on the internet that said, I'm no longer a Christian. I've given up my faith in Jesus Christ and I've resigned from my church. Yeah. But if you look carefully, the website was Joel Osteen. They didn't have the other E. But then people were good. I mean, that website looked legit. It had pictures of Joel Osteen. It was well designed. It was connected to a Facebook page and a Twitter page. And in all of these three. And the message said, I can't use my normal channels because my staff won't let me. But I've resigned from my church because I'm not walking with Jesus anymore. I've made a decision. I don't believe that he's Lord. And, I, and the Bible is, is just a, is, is, is a book of myths. And I don't believe it anymore. People were calling me, Facebooking me, texting me. Pastor, Joel Osteen has walked away from Christ. It's all over for Lakewood. It's it's done. What are they going to do with that big old building now? (coughs) 
And I thought, if they need a new pastor. No. No. I, I responded. I said, this is, this is fake. This isn't real. This is a hoax. No, look at it. It looks legit. I'm like, no, it's a hoax. It's not real. And then I started looking at it. And for a moment, I thought, this looks too real. Is something going on here? It looks too real. But I thought, no, 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 no. This, it, unless I hear it from the man's mouth, I don't believe this. This is, this is not right. This is not right. And then within a few hours, the news reports started coming out. Joel Osteen, the target of a major internet attack. Joel Osteen, the target of a major, a major threat, you know, this major attack. And it was, it was multi-level using many social media outlets and a blog. And it just looked, I mean, that, that, that guy was good. Whoever did it, he was good. I mean, he should get a, a round of applause for that because that was like, that was some legit, like, you know, if somebody attacks you, that's the way to get attacked. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I got to respect this guy because, man, he really put some thought into this. This is not just a hothead. Like, he really, you know. But you know what, what disturbed me the most? Joel Osteen didn't say a word about it. And I thought to myself, man, I would have been on the news five minutes after saying, that wasn't me. I didn't say that. That is a but. I don't believe. Please don't believe that. That's not me. I didn't sign. I, it would have been on my Facebook, on my Twitter, on my church website. I would have been sending out text messages to people. It wasn't me. I would have sent out email blasts to every Christian in the world. I would have created another website. That wasn't me. Dot com. You know what I noticed? Osteen didn't say a word. Nothing on his Facebook, nothing on his Twitter, nothing on his church website. And that's what got me even a little bit more suspect. Like, why isn't he saying anything? Even in a Sunday sermon, you'd think he would have addressed it, right? He just preached a regular old message. You know what dawned on me just watching the way he handled that whole situation? Sometimes the best way to refute people's misunderstandings about who you are is simply to ignore it and keep on being who you are. Because if you're going to do anything for Christ, you're going to end up on somebody's heretic list. You know, I found out I've landed on several prominent heretic lists. Well, not very prominent. But, you know, Dell recently informed me that I'm on a, a major heretic list in the Bay Area. I'm like, I'm on that list? What did I do? What did I say? I've done nothing. How am I on a heretic list? Well, what heresy am I teaching? They never called me. They never told me. You know what? So what? There's no way everybody's going to like you. Jesus was misunderstood all the time. Never defended himself. This man said he was going to destroy the temple. I would have been like, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. This man breaks the Sabbath. No, I don't. I mean, they're talking about his death. But he wasn't offended. He wasn't offended by people because he wasn't offended by God. He had, no, he had no quarrel between him and the Father. There was nothing in his heart that said, since the Father's not going to defend me, i got to defend myself. 
Since the father's not going to stick up for me, I got to stick up for myself. See, so often when we're defending, all offensiveness is, is retaliation for having been offended. Because if you offend me, I'm going to offend you. Mm, my God. <laughs> but Jesus felt no need to retaliate. Why? Because there was no quarrel between him and the father. There was nothing in his heart that said, Father, why'd you let this happen to me? Father, where are you? How come you're letting them attack me? You're not doing anything. You don't have my back. He says, no, 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 no. You'll give your angels charge over me to keep me in all of my ways. They'll bear me up in their hands lest I dash my foot against a stone. If there's anything that I have to go through, you're allowing me to go through it for your glory. But I know that you're not going to abandon my soul to the grave. You're not going to suffer my, my soul to seek, my body to seek corruption. You're making known to me the paths of life. You're going to fill me with joy in your presence, with everlasting pleasures at your right hand. So I will not not be offended. Amen. I'm going to have an unoffendable heart. Why? Because I have no quarrel with the Father. I don't understand some stuff. People I've prayed for that have died, I can't understand it, but I won't allow myself to be offended. Amen. I've gone through trials and tribulations. See, we can get this idea and we can look at the lives of men and women of faith that are our spiritual role models and we can get the idea that they never go through anything. And sometimes us preachers are at fault because that's all the stories we tell you. Is I pray and God answers. I don't know what's wrong with you. You ain't got no faith. Maybe if you were as spiritual as I am, you'd get everything you asked for. Let me tell you something. I don't get, there's so many times in my life when the Father has not answered my prayer, when I've seen my hopes and dreams die and fall to the ground. Listen, the question is not whether or not your prayers get answered immediately. The question is, do you allow yourself to be offended? Or like Job, can you sit in the pit and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? Why? Because I know that even if I'm in the pit today, it's not the end of the story. I believe in the God who is beyond the pit. The God who is on the other side of the pit. The God that's going to lift me up. And that's what Job said, sitting in the pit. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him on that day. I know my Redeemer lives. I know that there's something on the other side of this. And so I won't allow myself to be offended. I won't allow myself to be offended. There's no quarrel between me and the Father. And that's why, listen, the foundation for forgiveness is simply the faith to believe in the divine purpose behind every trial you go through. Notice Jesus was not on the cross saying, Father, I forgive you for letting this happen to me. He was on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. I understand the divine purpose behind what you're allowing me to go through, so I have no quarrel with you. But I also have no quarrel with them. I'm not offended by them because they didn't know what they were doing. If Jesus were on the cross and he did say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, but he said it in solidarity with you and me because he knew that you and I go through times when we feel forsaken by the Father. And so he said, this is the kind of Psalm 22 moment where where you feel forsaken by the Father. Now watch how I handle it. I handle it by saying, Father, forgive them. I handle it by saying, it is finished. And I handle it by saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's how I handle that moment of God forsakenness. I handle it by... Refusing to believe that I've been forsaken by God. Amen. Jesus says, you want to make it? It has nothing to do with your spiritual gifting. Amen. It has nothing to do with how much anointing you have on your life. 
Has nothing to do with how many spiritual gifts you flow in simultaneously. Has nothing to do with how well you can preach. How many sick people you've healed. The question is, are you offended? Are you offended? Do you allow offense in your heart towards God? What's the sign? If I can't stop being offended towards people, whether it's the person in front of me, someone from my childhood, it means there's really a quarrel between me and the Father. I'm offended. How gracious Jesus was to send that invitation back to John the Baptist in prison. Go back and tell John what you see in here. The blind see. The deaf hear. The lame walk. The mute speak. The poor have the kingdom preached to them. But John can't hear or see this divine significance of any of that. Why? He's offended by me. Go back and tell John, blessed is he who is not offended by me. Go back and tell John to let his hopes and dreams go and trust them in my hand. Go back and tell John that he can transcend his expectations right now if he would simply believe. Tell John that if he would shake off that offense, suddenly he'd start seeing more clearly. There's some of you here today, you desire a deeper walk with Christ. You want to pray more. You want to read your Bible more. You want to study more. You want to hear from God clearly. You want to have worship in your home. You want to, but you can't figure out why you can't. You can't figure out what is stopping me. What is preventing me from drawing closer to the Lord? Why is it every time I take two steps toward God, I take two steps backward or three steps backward or one step backward? Why can't I just run to him? I'll tell you why. You've got a fence in your heart. But the Spirit of the Lord sent this word to you today to say, if you would release that offense and come back to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall have no need. I'm not going to walk around believing that something's missing in my life that the Father's not giving me. I'm not going to walk around wondering why He doesn't hear my prayers. That poem says, I will not doubt though all my ships at sea come sailing homes with broken masts and sails. I will simply trust the hand that never fails. I'm going to be like Paul who said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. If you would simply make a decision to believe, somehow, God, this is working for my good. Somehow, my light affliction is working for me, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Somehow, you're on the other side of this pit, waiting with the reward. He's coming and his reward is with him. His reward is with him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. But you got to shake off that offense. Just shake it off. I know you can't understand it. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to understand it. Maybe some of you are here that had a family member that died. And you can't understand that. You know what? I can't understand it either. And it would, it would be wrong for me to give you a simple answer. Well, that family member died. I hear people say stuff like that all the time. Well, God must have needed him in heaven for something. No, God doesn't need anything in heaven. Maybe you didn't have enough faith to pray for their healing. That's just ridiculous. You know what? I don't know. But I know that, G- that God is love. And I know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know he loves you. And I know he loves your loved one. Some of you here, you had a marriage that ended. 
You say, I can't understand that. You know what? I can't understand it either. It doesn't make any sense to me either. I can't give you an explanation and say, this is why it happened. But you know what I can tell you? That God promised that when you walk through the waters, he said, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set upon you. I am the Lord, your God. I am the one who helps you. I take you by your right hand and say, here am I. You know what I can tell you is that God is with you. I have no idea why you've had to walk through the things you've had to walk through. And I have no idea why I've had to walk through the stuff I've had to walk through. I have no idea why sometimes I don't get a yes from God. But I never feel like God tells me no. At least when I'm standing in that place of faith, I don't feel it. But when I come into the place of unbelief, I feel it. When I'm standing in that place of offense, I feel like... God, you filled my mouth with gravel. I've, I've gone through seasons like that where I say, God, you've turned my word and my name into a joke. You filled my mouth with gravel. You've made me a laughing stock. You've humiliated me, God. How could you treat me that way? I've gone through seasons where I've asked God that because I was offended. But when I come back into the place of faith, I begin to see that God didn't say no. He always says yes. But sometimes his yes means that he has to take my harvest of grain and grind it up and make bread out of it. And I thought that it was all about the grain. I have no idea why he's grinding up my harvest. But it's because he's making bread. The Spirit of God is here today to remove that offense from your heart. I will not be offended. You know what? You get rid of that offense between you and God, you'll find that your relationships with others, they just begin to soar. You find that all kind of stuff, because here's the thing, you could be in the presence of the most offensive person on this earth, but if you have an unoffendable heart, that person is completely non-offensive. Because without an offended party, there is no offender. You can vaporize offense by simply making a decision not to be offended. How do you do that? You come back into full alignment with God. I'm not talking about forgiving God. Lord, I forgive you. He doesn't need your forgiveness. Neither can you come to the place where you say, God, I understand why you did that. No, he doesn't even need your understanding. What he asks for is your faith and your trust. Because you know what? Sometimes from the time my daughter was born, I had to take her to the doctor and hold her down while the doctor stuck a sharp object into her arm and drew blood out of her. And she could not understand it. I'll never forget the first time I took her for a shot. She screamed and I was looking into her eyes. And when that, and I'm holding her and looking into her eyes saying, it's okay, baby, it's okay. But when that needle went into her arm, there was such a look of betrayal on her face. Such a look of betrayal. She wouldn't let me hold her afterwards. She would only go to mommy. She thought I did it to her. Daddy, why did you hurt me? Why did you do that? I couldn't explain it to her at the time. She couldn't understand that what I was actually doing was something that was necessary for her to be strong. I was putting something in her that would would strengthen her immune system and fight off disease. See, you have no idea why, and I can't explain it, and God is not even going to take the time to explain it because we can't even understand it in our language. But what we need is trust. God, I trust you. 
I try, even if you kill me, if you slay me, yet will I trust you. I trust you. If everything falls apart, I'll continue to trust you. If you take everything from me, I'll trust you. If my hopes and dreams fall apart and die, I'll trust you. I'll trust you and I'll continue to say, it's for my good. You're working for my good. Somehow you're working for my good. Something is happening that I can't see that's for my good. It's for my good, so I will not be offended. If somebody came and just cut you in the, in the side with a knife, just sliced you open with a knife, you'd be offended, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, be honest. Somebody just walked up and just sliced you. You'd be offended. But if you wake up on a table and there's a patch there, and the person who sliced you with that knife says, your cancer is in this jar right here. We took it out of your side. You're not offended by the person who cuts you anymore, are you? You don't come back to that doctor three years later and say, look at the scar on my side. Look what you did to me. I can't believe you cut me that way. I'm so hurt by you. You come back to that doctor and say, this scar reminds me that you cut something out of me that was going to kill me. You saved my life. I'm so thankful to you for cutting me. I'm so thankful that you cut me because something had to come out of me that was killing me. Sometimes God allows you to get cut to take something out of you that's killing you and you don't even know it's killing you. I don't know why, but I trust him. But I trust him. I'm going to trust him. Bow your heads. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would flow through this auditorium and that you would bring a spirit of renewal, that you'd bring a spirit of restoration right now. God, there's some in this room right now that are carrying offense and don't know how to let it go. And they think they're mad at their mom or their dad. They think they're offended by their parents or their family members. But God, behind all of that, is they're offended by you. Why did you allow it? Why did you allow it? But God, I pray that you would open our eyes today that we would begin to look to the cross. That we would begin to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, and here you say, I was there. I was there. I was there. I was with you. I was with you in your pain. I was marked when you were marked. I was harmed when you were harmed. And I've never left you. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Come on, make a decision this morning. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be offended because God doesn't do what I want him to do, when I want him to do it, how I want him to do it. I'm not going to be offended because he doesn't meet my relational expectations. I'm not going to be offended because he doesn't give me what I think I deserve. I'm not going to be offended when I, when I go through injustice and stuff doesn't seem to go my way. I'm not going to be offended. I'm not carrying that offense anymore. I'm not carrying it anymore. Come on, just release it right now. Talk to the Father right now. Say, God, I release it. Take it from me. Take it from me. Holy Spirit, just come right now. Just remove it from every heart. Remove it from every heart in the name of Jesus. Remove that offense from every heart. Remove it in the name of Jesus. The Spirit of God is here right now. He's taking it away. He's taking away all that offense. Taking away all that bitterness. Taking away all that bitterness. Taking it away. Taking it away. The author of Hebrews said, Beware lest any of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by it many become defiled. 
that bitterness comes from an unbelieving heart. And that unbelieving heart is a heart that's offended. But the grace of God is on the other side of that offense. You release that offense, there's a flow of grace. You release that offense, there's a flow of power. You release that offense, there's a flow of revelation. There's a flow of wisdom. There's a flow of understanding. You release that offense, and suddenly God can take you into a deeper place in his presence. You're going to find that you pray more. You're going to find that you, you have a hunger and a desire to seek the things of God because you've released that offense. The other side of that offense is forgiveness. The people in your life that you've hurt or that have hurt you, the people in your life that have harmed you, you can forgive them. You can forgive them. Why? Because there's no quarrel between you and God. You know the divine purpose is there. You can say, Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Forgive them. They didn't understand the divine purpose behind this. Forgive them. Forgive them. Just release it right now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So take me to that place, Lord, to that secret place where I can be with you. You can make me like you. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Wrap me in your arms. Come on and sing to the Lord. Take me to take me to that place Lord to that secret place where I can be you can make me like you you can make me like you wrap me in your arms wrap me in your Okay, listen, there's some of you here, there's, I just sense that there's, there's a good group of you here. You say, I've got some offense in my heart that I just need God to remove. I want an unoffendable heart, but I'm struggling with myself. I just want to get it off. I want to break it off me. If that's you, just lift your hand right where you are. You say, I'm ready to come out of this stuff. I'm ready to let this stuff go. Lift your hand, lift your hand, lift your hand, lift your hand. You say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. If that's you, come to the altar right now. Come stand up here at this altar right now. Come on, we're going to lay some hands. We need a good old time at the altar. We need a good old altar call. We need to stand in the presence of God. Everybody else, stand up. I want you just to begin to worship. Listen, if you got to go, you got to go. I understand it. We bless you. We're just going to release the service if you have to go. But if not, we're going to continue to press into the presence of the Lord. Some of you are going to get free from some of this stuff right now. You're not going to carry that offense any further. You're not going to carry it. If you're staying, I want you just to begin to worship him right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Come on, come on. Open up your mouth and just begin to seek the presence of the Lord. Don't stay in the place you are. Yes, Lord. To that secret place where I can be with you. You can be Come on, lift up your hands and sing it. to that place, take me to, take me to that place, Lord, to that secret place where I can be with you, you can 
Listen, we're going to close the service now. We bless you. We release you. We thank you for being here today. God bless you. I promise you by the next time you come here, the AC will be working again. We apologize for that. But if you're at the altar and you're seeking the face of God, or even if you're in your seat, we're going to continue to worship for a little while longer. We're going to pray for a little while longer because I just sense the spirit of God is moving and breaking some stuff and breaking some stuff. And if you're here and you just sense that happening in you, I don't want you to leave till you feel like he breaks it all off of you and takes it all out of you. But if you need to go, you got to go. I understand we're releasing the service. The service is officially done. God bless you. We love you. We're dismissed.